This broadcast of the PJC Media Network seeks to present wholesome, thought-provoking, and entertaining content. However, the views expressed by the hosts of PJC Media are theirs and theirs alone. They do not reflect the views of this network or its affiliates. Please utilize listener discretion. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Let's Talk About It with Jenny White show. Each week, we feature different topics concerning issues that sometimes can be difficult to talk about. These issues concern children and adults who may be autistic, have Asperger's, or have mental disorders of any kind. We will discuss law enforcement and how they interact with these persons. Now, let's start the show. And let's start the show. And this we're going to start uh, about with terrorism and racial riots occurred in three dozen cities in the United States. Red Summer was a period in mid-1919 during which white super-terrorism and racial riots occurred in more than three dozen cities across the United States and in one rural county in Arkansas. Learn what they didn't teach you in your school. And before I go in, I will say in most instances, attacks considered white on black violence. And I'm introducing my host, Mr. Coleman. Okay, Mr. Coleman, are you here? I am. Good afternoon. Good evening, Jenny White. Okay. Thank you for being in. And um, is there someone else that's going to be in talking? Yeah, David Rankin. I've got David Rankin coming on. So, Dave, if you're on, we'll bring you on. David Rankin, our esteemed historian. 1611, the last four digits of those. I don't know. Um, okay. Hold on. That's it. No. 592. Okay. Are you hearing me? Yes, we Hello? hear you. How you doing? Good, thanks. How about yourself? Good. And thank you for being here again. I want to see what, oh. well, not see, here. <laughs> <laughs> what you guys are going to be talking about tonight. So with further, well, no you. further. Thank you yes. for having me. Thank you. Thank you. Go ahead, Mace. All right, no, all right. Say, yes, you guys can take the show. All right, I'm well, we'll me. take it. Okay, all, all right. right. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about Red Summer which happened the summer of 1999. And uh, how you doing today, Dave? I'm good. You're good, thanks. Good, about good, good. Oh, everything is great, man. You know, um, I um, knew about Red Summer, you know, and the riots that took place, uh, you know, not only during the summer but the year and, and some and in, in, in the fall as well. Uh, but I, you know, I, I I went a little further back and kind of uh, uh, found what caused so much racial animosity and racial tension 
that brought all that, you know, 1919 to a head. So uh, so I learned mm-hmm. some things um, in studying it as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, so, I, I, so I what I'll was... do is, you know, I'll kind of Go get ahead. started. And, um, you know, I'll start with the intro, give a little history on what we're going to be discussing. And then, uh, you know, we can kind of go from there. Um, like Jenny White said, uh, Red Summer was a period in the mid-1919s during which white supremacy, terrorism, and racial riots occurred in more than three dozen cities across the United States. If you could just think of a race riot and racial tensions all across America, um, it was hot. And in one rural county in Arkansas, um, so what happened was um, the term Red Summer was coined by a civil rights activist, James Weldon Johnson, who um, started that term. So what happened was uh, with the mobilization of troops for World War One, when America gathered all these troops um, and with the uh, immigration to Europe cut off, the industrial cities of America, uh, the Northeast and Midwest, experienced severe labor shortages. So as a result, the northern manufacturers recruited throughout the South from which an exodus of black people ensured, an exodus of workers came from the South to go through the North when they started mobilizing troops for World War I. So uh, by 1919, an estimated 500,000 African-American black people had moved, had migrated from southern United States to the industrial cities of the Northeast and Midwest in what they call the first wave of the Great Migration, which continued until 1940. So what happened was when all these uh, people moved from the south to the north for work, uh, the black workers filled a lot of new positions in expanding industries, such as the railroads, as well as many existing jobs formerly held by whites. So in some cities, they were hired as strike breakers. You know, the black people came from the South, and they, you know, went through the picket line, uh, especially during the strikes of 1917. So what this did was this increased the resentment against blacks and many working-class white immigrants and first-generation Americans, even before red summer in 1999. In the summer of 1917, violent racial riots against blacks due to labor tensions broke out in East St. Louis, Illinois, and Houston, Texas. So following the war and a rapid demobilization, the Army just sent everybody in the military home without a plan for absorbing the veterans back into the job market. And then they had also removed price controls, which the government was controlling um, uh, what they were priced as a minimum and what they were priced as a maximum for certain products. Uh, So, you know, people were just price gouging, just kind of like, you know, with the eggs right now, they're, you know, out of control, everything is going up. So what happened was that led to unemployment and inflation, and that increased competition for the jobs, and jobs were very difficult for blacks to get in the South due to racism and segregation. So after the war, America felt uh, 
there was a 1917 Russian Revolution where a group called the Bolsheviks in Russia took over power in Russia. And so America felt when the soldiers came back from World War One that they were going to spread that Bolshevik uh, influence and start forming groups and try to take over the government. So, you know, when blacks came back, you know, this was the rumor that was being spread. Um, and so many politicians and even government officials, together with much of the press and the public, feared an imminent attempt to overthrow the U.S. government and create a new regime modeled on that of the Soviets by the black Americans. Authorities viewed the, with alarm African-Americans' advocacy for racial equality, labor rights, and the rights of victims of mobs to defend themselves. So this is, a, this is the kicker right here. In a private conversation in March of 1919, President Woodrow Wilson said that the American Negro returning from abroad would be our greatest medium in conveying Bolshevism to America. Kind of sound like Trump. Uh, other whites expressed a wide range of opinions, some anticipating unsettled times and others seeing no signs of tension. So basically what they're saying is the soldiers that once they came back from World War One were different men. They were they were different men at that point and they had felt freedom over there and so they had to come back to segregation and they weren't going to accept that anymore. So that was uh it's kinda of like the foundation of um Red Summer. So uh what's your what's uh, your analysis analysis of uh some of the things that took place uh in the summer of nineteen nineteen, David? Um, well, you know, as you mentioned, you know, these brothers were over there fighting for their country, for freedom. To have to come back and not be free, totally. Not be able right. to, you know, blend into society. So that was a tough one. You know, and, and I know we're talking about 1919, but here we are, 2023, and when Kaepernick knelt during the uh, national anthem, and they wanted to make it about the flag. Right. And um, I give Drew Brees credit because he spoke up, you know, he, he, he took back his, his words after he listened to it. I can't remember the brother's name, but he, he let him know, you know, um, military for our fathers, us black men, our fathers was not the same military as it was for him, you know, and that's what I'm speaking to. You know, that's what I'm speaking to with that, with the veterans coming home from war. You know, they still had to endure that. And, and there was issues like that, that, uh, and, and I know we, we're trying to stay on 1919, but it made this trigger some thoughts. I'm sorry, I got no, I mean, 1919, <laughs> you know, there are other things that, you know, culminate up to that. So, and afterwards. So, yeah, go ahead. Go where you need to go, man. But there was, um, and I'm trying to think of the year, so if I can bring it up here in a second. But over in France, uh, the white soldiers were trying to impose Jim Crow on the black soldiers. And the France yeah. sided with the black soldiers and wasn't having it. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, with that, then, you know, you mentioned the job. So now you've got these black men, descendants of slaves, 
you know, possibly babies or, or maybe young enough to have worked in the field as a slave, now coming up with an opportunity for a job. And these white guys, don't, they, they know who they got to compete with, with these right. jobs now, mm. you know. And that's all still, and it's all coming off the heels of Reconstruction, you know, where, yeah. you know, hey, you, know, you, you out in the field or wherever you put your slave, now you mm-hmm. come to get my job? You come right. take my job. Really? Yeah, you would just come take my job. Oh, man. Um, it didn't get me easier. Go ahead. <laughs> no. No. No, I was just saying, it, you know, it didn't get any easier, you know, um, uh, yeah. after Reconstruction. No, what'd you say? That was a, no, no, Reconstruction was one of the toughest times that I, you know, it was 12 years or so, I think it was, but right. yeah. I seem to get, at least I've overlooked it, I've over, and I've dug deeper into it, and I was like, Reconstruction was something. But, you know, you mentioned Woodrow Wilson, and uh, I can't remember if I brought this up last week or not, um, but there were five U.S. presidents with direct ties to the Klan. Hmm. All yeah, right. Five. I'm gonna give them to you. I'm gonna give them. Yeah, to you. I'm ready. I'm, um, I'm gonna write them down too. Let me you say five. Sure of them. It was five. Oh so. well. I, I, now, I, I hope. I, I hope at the end of your list, you you got Trump. Yeah. Well, that means, you, I was going to say, that, I, that was my whole time. That, that would be six. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, that would be six. But before I even mention them, I'm going to go back to probably the first worst president. That was Andrew Jackson. All right. Yeah, and Andrew Jackson, he was behind taking all the land from the Native Americans, the most violent. Okay. Then when you go forward to Andrew Johnson, who, you know, he was the one that was impeached. Now, mm-hmm. what, what a lot of people may not know, he was – so back then, Abraham Lincoln is a Republican as a president. Andrew Johnson is a Democrat as his vice president. So they cross party lines. All right. Also, the Democrats in the South are the ones that created the Ku Klux Klan. Mm-hmm. Now, it's good to know that because folks, some folks might want to bring that, oh, you know, it was the Democrats just to, you know, like it's always been the Democrats, so you're supporting the Ku Klux Klan. No, you, you, there's more history to that, but I'm, and I won't go there. But there's, my point was it was Andrew Jacks Johnson that came after Abraham Lincoln, the vice president, that was uh, also imposing a lot of racism as that Democrat. So now when you go out forward and mention the five the five presidents, uh the first one was William McKinley. William McKinley. He was okay. president from eighteen forty three to nineteen oh one. Then we got Woodrow Wilson. Is that when he was born or that, that's when he was president? I'm sorry, I gave you the wrong yeah. No, he was president from eighteen ninety seven. To 1901. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering, you know, we had changed the rules, you know. <laughs> right, 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 right. I'm sorry. From a dynasty to a right, okay. <laughs> I'm gl
I'm president for 22 years? What happened? You know, you know. You know me well enough. When I start going on this stuff, man, I just lose it. You know, I'm like all in. No, man. man. That's why I got you. On. That's why I got you on here. I, I know you can talk about it. So let's so let's keep it so, moving because we got a lot of material. All right. Okay. Well, we got Woodrow Wilson after him. March 1913 to March of 21. Warren Harding 1921 to 1923. Calvin Coolidge, 1923 to 1929. So that's four, right? Right. Truman was the fifth, 1945 to 1963. But now, I'm going to go back for a second. Um, these are all after Reconstruction. Mm-hmm. And uh, McKinley, yeah, he was the first one. Oh, yeah, he's a Republican. How about that? But that don't mean that the Democrats didn't start the claims because they did. Woodrow Wilson, one of the worst ones. Now, I don't know if you all caught it when I gave you their terms, but if you look at when Woodrow Wilson's term ended, Harding's began. When Harding's ended, Coolidge's began. You had three presidents with overlapping terms. Okay. And Woodrow Wilson wow. was the one that he was in office during Red Summer. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, he had uh, his rhetoric was inflammatory, you know, in regards oh, yeah. to, yeah, yeah the, the blacks coming back, uh, you know, really uh, being said that, we, you know, they were going to be conveying Bolshevism to Americans. Um, and so it's... Uh, you know, pretty much like Black Lives Matter, you know, type of, uh, you know, language and, and how it's, you know, being termed to uh, stand for something negative, you know, like uh, like we're trying to take over the, the U.S. government. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go a little deeper into this, and uh, we're going to talk about some other things. Um, okay. Because... Uh, the riots started as early as April 13th of 1919, and uh, one was in rural Georgia. The riot of Jenkins County led to six deaths and the destruction of various property by arson, including the Carswell Grove Baptist Church and three black Masonic lodges in Millen, Georgia. And that was April 13th and uh, July 14th. Uh, Mm. May 10th, there was a Charleston riot, which resulted in the injury of five five whites, 18 black men, along with the death of three others. Um, And they said that a naval investigation found that four U.S. sailors and one civilian, all white men, initiated that riot on May 10th uh, in Charleston. Early July, a white race riot in Longview, Texas, led to the deaths of at least four men and destroyed the African-American housing district in the town. Um, July 3rd, local police in Bisbee, Arizona, attacked the 10th U.S. Cavalry, an African-American unit known as the Buffalo Soldiers. 
formed in 1866. This was in Bisbee, Arizona, July 3rd, 1919. July 14th, the Garfield Park riot took place in Garfield Park, Indianapolis, Indianapolis, where multiple people, including a seven-year-old girl, were wounded when gunfire broke out. Now, some of the larger race riots uh, were in Washington, D.C., in Norfolk, Virginia, uh, July 19th through the 20th. So beginning on July 19th in Washington, D.C., had four days of mob violence against black individuals and businesses perpetrated by white men, many of whom in the military and in uniforms of all three services in response to the rumored arrest of a black man for the rape of a white woman. That sounds familiar. The men rioted, randomly beat black people on the street and pulled others off streetcars for attacks. When police refused to intervene, the black population fought back. The city closed saloons and theaters to discourage assembly. Meanwhile, the four white-owned local newspapers, including the Washington Post, okay, including WAPO, W-A-P-O, Washington mm-hmm. Post, ginned up weeks of hysteria, banning the violence and incendiary headlines, calling in at least one instance for mobilization of a cleanup operation. Okay, this is this is the media. So after four days of police inaction, they didn't do anything, uh, President Woodrow Wilson mobilized the National Guard to restore order. So when the violence ended, a total of 15 people had died, 10 white people, including two police officers and five black people. 50 people were seriously wounded in another hundred less severely wounded. And they said it's one of the few times in the 20th century where white on black riots that white fatalities outnumber those of the black people. I thought that's what you said. I was about to ask you to read those numbers again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was one of the few times. Um, and uh, on July 21st, in North- I'm sorry, did you say that was D.C.? That was in uh, Washington, D.C.? Yeah, that was in Washington, D.C. Okay. And uh, okay. in, Nor- in, in Norfolk, Virginia, in Norfolk, Virginia, on July <laughs> 21st, a white mob attacked a homecoming celebration for African Americans, for black veterans of World War One. So at least six people mm. were shot, and the local police called in Marines and Navy personnel to restore order. So July 21st in Norfolk, Virginia, a white mob attacked a homecoming celebration for black soldiers from the war. Think about that. Think about that. Think about it. You joined, you know, if if they weren't drafted, they joined, probably to get away Mm -hmm. and defend. And this is your welcome home. Right. Right. Yeah, this is where you get welcome. Yeah. And, yeah, so, um, so you know, in studying this, what I found is it brings full circle a lot of what we're dealing with today in politics. It's just different organizations called different things, like there's a, a faction group in the uh, GOP, you know, the Tea Party is mixed with the, you know, uh, the QAnon and, and everybody else. Uh, faction in there right now, and so it's similar to uh, some of the uh, insurrections uh, that took place during this time. Um, 
But it, let me tell you about the Chicago riot that took place on July 27th and August 12th. It said that beginning on July 27th, the Chicago race riot marked the greatest massacre, massacre of Red Summer. Chicago's beaches along Lake Michigan were segregated by custom. When Eugene Williams, a black youth, swam into an area on the south side, customarily used by whites, South side of Chicago, not anymore. He was stoned and drowned. Chicago police hmm. refused to take action against the attackers. Thus, the young black man responded with violence, lasting for 13 days with the white mobs led by the ethnic Irish. <coughs> While mobs destroyed hundreds of mostly black homes and businesses on the south side of Chicago, the state of Illinois called in the militia, a force of seven regiments several thousand men to restore order. The riots resulted in casualties that included 38 fatalities, 23 blacks, and 15 whites. About 527 people were injured, and over 1,000 black families were left homeless. Um, And if Hmm. you go to Chicago race riots in 1919, uh, there's a series of uh, pictures um, in black and white, of course, of families and um, people, you know, getting stoned, uh, black people getting stoned by white people and black families having to move by horse horse and buggy with uh, white families standing on the edge of their property looking at them move, you know. So um, Mm -hmm. this is what we had to deal with, you know. Uh, Mid to late August, this is still on August 12th, in an annual convention, the Northeastern Federation of Colored Women's Clubs denounced the rioting and burning of Negro homes and asked President Wilson to use every means within his power to stop the rioting in Chicago and propaganda used to incite such. And in August, the NAACP protested again to the White House, noting that the attack on the organization, secretary of the NAACP in Austin, Texas, uh, the previous week, August 30th and 31st, the Roxville riot in Tennessee started after the arrest of a black suspect on suspicion of murdering a white woman. Searching for mm. the prisoner, a lynch mob stormed the county jail where they liberated 16 white prisoners, including suspected murderers. The mob mm. attacked the African-American business district where they fought against the district's black business owners, leaving at least seven dead and more than 20 wounded. And then I'll go, I'll go to uh, this one, and then I'll come back to you, Dave. In Omaha, on September 28th and 29th, race riot of Omaha, Nebraska, erupted after a mob of over 10,000 ethnic whites. And when they say ethnic whites, they're talking about a term used to refer to white Americans who are not old stock or white Anglo-Saxon Protestants. They consist of a number of distinct groups and make up approximately Mm -hmm. 70% of the white population in the United States. Mm -hmm. The term usually referred to the descendants of immigrants. Uh, And they have John F. Kennedy as the face (laughs) uh, of of that. So in in Omaha, the ethnic whites which were immigrants, 
from South Omaha, attacked and burned a county courthouse to force the release of a black prisoner accused of raping a white woman. I don't know how many black people were in Omaha back in 1919, but evidently it was at least one. The mob lynched the suspect, Will Brown, hanging him and burning his body. I'm sure that uh, there have been, if you've ever seen a picture of a burning body in a lynch mob behind him mm-hmm. posing for the camera, then that's uh, Will Brown. And so... What year uh, was that again? 1919. This, this, this rare okay. summer. This, this, this rare yeah, fall yeah. right now, because it's September 28th right. and 29th. Right. So the group spread out after they burned and hung him, attacking black neighborhoods and stores on the north side of Omaha, Nebraska, destroying property valued at more than a million dollars. So evidently there was a black community out there. And one and, and may still be. I've never been to Omaha. Once the mayor and governor appealed for help, the federal government sent U.S. Army troops from nearby forts. And so uh, that's part of the 1919 massacres. There are, there are others, uh, but uh, what's your thoughts on that, David? Well, you know, you you called it um, in that Chicago, and I was trying. I was looking it up to see if we are we talking riot or are we talking massacre? Okay. You know, because well, um, it, it, Tulsa, call it a riot. Yeah, Tulsa, Tulsa. Um, okay. You know, I mean, I yeah, guess we'll, we'll like to fight back when we could, but usually we didn't massacre. Um, but the uh, in Chicago, it was the Irish. Yeah. You said that. So, and then later on you mentioned, um, I can't remember how you called it, but it was, they were, what, you know. What, ethnic white? Um, yes, thank you. That's exactly right. Thank yep. you. Exactly. Ethnic white. Yeah. Yeah. So what was the actual population of them? And well, were they it was predominant? 10,000 in the mob. In Omaha, so they were predominant. They, I mean, they was deep. They said they had a mob was, of over ten thousand. But was that all? That attacked and burned that, the courthouse. What did you say? No. Are you saying that you still talking about Chicago, or did you say a different city? No, this is uh, Omaha. The ethnic white. Oh, Omaha. I'm sorry. You, you, no, you asked, asked and I mean, yeah. Chicago. Yeah, because it was oh, okay. So. Yeah, no, just you know, they they're not ethnic uh, ethnic white. Or, or yeah, Chicago. Or yeah, Chicago. Uh, ethnic Irish, so they were all they were mm-hmm. all immigrants. Yeah, I mean, you know, everybody was from Europe. And, so, and you know, I guess. No, I was just going to uh, talk about the Elaine massacre. Had you had you heard of that one? Um, that's uh, with the Progressive Farmers and, and Household Union. Are you familiar with them? That's uh, pretty deep. No, uh, but I, I was going to mention some numbers here that I saw okay. um, of some lynchings, and uh, it was 64 in 1918 and 83 in 1919. And it mentioned several of the places you mentioned and a few more. Where there were some, uh, mm. yeah, right, breaking out all, all across the United States. Oh, it was and, terrible. But anyway, you know, 
the thing about it is they said that this was the first time in America that blacks have fought back against white resistance. And I guess that's just, you know, fed up, we ain't taking this shit no more type of thing, you know. When the, when the soldiers came back from the Army, that was the year that it was like, we ain't taking this no more. You know, and so fight uh, mm-hmm. blacks fought back. Not that they mm-hmm. hadn't, you know, in different instances in the past, but at this point, you know, I guess everybody said, you know, well, we got to lose. You know, we've been living this this lifestyle since we've been in America. And so with that taste of uh, freedom, just being uh, segregated and working, you know, with whites and seeing, you know, how – other countries were operating in World War One. Uh, a black soldier couldn't come back the same. And so, in this Elaine massacre, it was September 30th, a massacre occurred against blacks in Elaine, Phillips County, Arkansas, uh, being the district for having uh, it's a rural South County instead of a city. Uh, so the event erupted from the resistance of the white minority against the organization of labor by black sharecroppers, along with the fear of socialism. Planners opposed uh, such efforts to organize and thus tried to disrupt a uh, meeting of uh, union, you know, union um, people gathered, the sharecroppers, the black sharecroppers were having a meeting. And so uh, the white people didn't like it, and so they tried to disrupt the meeting in the local chapter, Progressive Farmers and Household Union of America, and in the confrontation, a white man tried to take a black man's gun who was acting as security at the church, and the white man got shot to death. He got fatally shot, and the other white man that was with him got wounded. So the planners... Uh, formed a militia to arrest the black farmers. The black people. And, mm-hmm. yeah, and so hundreds of whites came from that region and acted as a mob, attacking black people for over two days at random. And during the riot, the mob killed an estimated, they say 100 to 237 black people while five whites uh, died in the violence. But I've heard numbers uh, that were way higher than that. I mean, you know, probably maybe upwards to 500 people. Um, and so they were saying that the uh, information that the uh, sharecroppers were passing around uh, was propaganda to, to kill white people. You know, the Arkansas governor uh, appointed a committee composed a prominent local white businessman to investigate, and the committee concluded that the Sharecroppers Union was a socialist enterprise and established for the purpose of banding black people together, Negroes together, for the killing of white people. The report <laughs> generated such headlines as in the Dallas Morning News, Negro seized and Arkansas riots confessed the widespread plot, planned massacre of whites today. And several agents of the Justice Department and the Bureau of Investigation spent a weekend interviewing participants, those speaking to no sharecroppers. They, they didn't talk to no black people. They, they talked to all white farmers. 
and the Bureau uh, in their documents filing a nine report stated there was no evidence of a conspiracy of the sharecroppers to murder anyone. So they got it right. But the local government tried 79 black people who were all convicted by all white juries and 12 were sentenced to death for murder. Uh, And Arkansas and other southern states disenfranchised most black people at that point to turn of the 20th century. And and most blacks, you know, blacks couldn't vote, run for political office, or serve on juries. Um, And so the remainder of the defendants were sentenced to prison terms. Yeah, they could they could go to court and fight. What what was the so name of the group? So that was a lane massacre, and and one of the farmers that the one of the farmers that uh, the uh, sharecropping organization was able to escape. I think he went to Kansas, so he was able to get away before you know the, the mob came and started killing everybody. Uh, him and a couple other people, but the man I I don't I can't think of his name right now, but the man that started the union of sharecroppers, progressive farmers and household union, uh, he was able to get away and and left and absconded to Kansas City. But uh it was a big clash, uh, where the mob mentality um were you know, there was no prosecution. So um, you know, there are over 36 encounters of racial violence from January 22nd of 1919 to December 27th, um, 1919. So that year, um, there was a report in October 1919 by it's called the Haynes Report by Dr. George Edmund Haynes, and it's a call to national action, and it was published in the New York Times and other major newspapers. And Haynes noted that the lynchings were a national problem. As President Woodrow Wilson had noted in a 1918 speech, from 1889 to 1918, more than 3,000 people had been lynched. I'm going to say that again. This is what mm-hmm. President Woodrow Wilson had noted in his speech. That it's a problem. We're killing We're lynching all these black people. From 1889 to 1918, more than 3,000 people had been lynched. 2,472 mm-hmm. were black men and 50 were black women. That's just the ones they were able to count. Haynes said that state had shown themselves unable or unwilling to put a stop to lynchings and seldom prosecuted the murderers. The fact that the white man had also, the fact that white men had also been lynched in the North, he argued, demonstrated the national nature of the overall problem. It is idle to suppose that murder can be confined to one section of the country or to one race. And he connected the lynching to the widespread racial riots against blacks in the year 1919. And that was the Hayes report. And he just stated um, that persistence of unpunished lynchings of Negroes fosters lawlessness among white men imbued with the mob spirit and creates a spirit of bitterness among Negroes. In such a state of public mind, a trivial incident 
can precipitate a riot. He also wrote in the report, the Hayes report in October 1919, disregard of law and legal process will inevitably lead to more and more frequent clashes and bloody encounters between white men and Negroes and a condition of potential race war for many cities of the United States. And lastly, he wrote, unchecked mob violence creates hatred and intolerance, making impossible free and dispassionate discussion not only for race of race problems, but questions of which races and sections differ. So, so it's pretty deep, man. I mean, you know, they put a report together, the government put a report together, um, just stating that uh, it was an epidemic and, and, and lynchings were a national problem. And, you know, uh, today, mm-hmm. this was 1919, you know, today mm-hmm. the uh, legislation won't pass an anti-law bill that has been brought up on numerous occasions, um, but they can't get enough votes to pass it. So Congress, <laughs> so Congress, you know, really don't think it's a problem. So, you know, uh, in studying this, it um, made me feel some type of way. I'm not going to lie. And I'm going to mm-hmm. tell you because, you know, I watch, you know, I watch the news. I try to stay current on a lot of what's going on. And with these insurrections and, and you know, reading up on a lot of these riots being perpetrated by uh, people of the military, you know, so these military um, these white soldiers go into the military and come out and form militias mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. you know, and then perform uh, these racist acts on people of color, black and brown people. And, I mean, that is accurate as of today. Um the things that took place in 1919, I actually see some of them happening today. I mm-hmm. think that, uh, you know, and I, and the saying of, you know, if you don't know your history, you're doomed to repeat it, rings truer and truer. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Because, you know, we were never taught this information in school. We were, I wasn't taught it as an adult. I had to come across it on my own, you know, Mm -hmm. because nobody told me about it. And had I not, you know, um, come across it and studied and researched and looked for this information, um, I wouldn't know. And, you know, and and so the thing is, uh, over a hundred years ago, there was a sentiment against black people. Now we had our civil rights movement, which gave us some rights, um, which you know was supposed to end the Jim Crow, um, you know, but that that just slipped over into something else, <laughs> you know. Um, but the systemic things just don't stop. Uh, and I think that when you look for the people that have put the systems together to save you, it's 
sounds like a Stockholm syndrome. I know it can even be to the point where we feel like we don't either know what to do or have the power to do it. Um, but there uh, was a joint legislative committee to investigate seditious activities popularly known as the Lux Committee, L-U-S-K, and it was formed in 1919. There was a lot going on in 1919 by the New York State Legislature to investigate individuals and organizations in New York State sedition. Hmm, go figure. The committee was chaired by freshman state senator Clayton R. Lusk, which this committee is named after, similar to the you know, January 6th committee. Okay, this was the Lusk committee. Uh, he had a background in business, conservative political views, referring to radicals, alien enemies. Uh, uh, so the Lusk committee was put together to investigate individuals and organizations in New York State suspected of sedition. So, uh, you know, it's just, like they said, it's been about 100 years since anybody's been prosecuted for sedition. Um, but they were doing it back in 1919. Mm-hmm. And there was um, a lot of press coverage that uh, instigated and propagated the racial violence against blacks that took place in 1919 as, as well. Um, they say that, you know, in, in the midsummer in the middle of Chicago race violence against blacks, a federal official told the New York Times that the violence resulted from an agitation which involved IWW, which is International Workers of the World, the Bolshevism, which I talked about over in Russia, the, the party that took over Russia back in 1919, uh, and the worst features of other, well, 1917, I'm sorry, and the worst features of other extreme radical movements. And so this federal official also supported the claim that copies of Negro publications that called for alliances with leftist groups praised the Soviet regime and contrasted the courage of jail socialist Eugene V. Debs with the schoolboy rhetoric of traditional black leaders. And the New York Times also characterized the publications as these black publications as vicious and apparently well-financed. Uh, and it also mentioned certain factions of the radical socialist element and reported it all under the headline, Reds Try to Stir Negroes to Revolt. In 1919, Oklahoma's Daily Almorette published a piece with the headline describing evidence found of Negro society that brought on rioting. So, you know, so the, the press blaming the riots on the victims. Well, you see how so, far it's carried forward. What did you say? So you see how far that has carried over, carried forward, that theme, oh, blame the victim. Mm-hmm. It's always been blaming the victim, usually, you know, especially when it's us. Oh, it's, uh, most definitely. I mean, 
that uh, that's how you spin it. You know, mm-hmm. That's how you mm-hmm. that's how you throw throw the rock and, and hide your hand. Um, because you know we didn't start it; um, they started it. And then the fact that uh, there were very few prosecutions of uh, black people, uh, very few prosecutions of white people killing black people at that time. I mean, even if they, you know, they knew who did it, they got off. So yeah, um, they think think about it. I mean, how many pictures have you seen of a crowd of white people around a black man or black person hanging? Hmm. Too many. I've got a book called uh, Without Sanctuary. So it's a book of uh, lynching. So it has men, women, and children you know, those, in this book. They were using those for postcards. That's what the, those pictures were used for postcards. Oh, yeah. Well, let me let me uh, see if uh, we have any uh, of our listeners that um, have any questions and want to chime in uh, and talk about some of the events that, and riots that took place in the summer of uh, in the, the year, not just in the summer, but in the year of 1919. If so, push the one on your phone, uh, make a comment or ask a question, and, and we'll make it happen. Um, but, yeah, well, Dave, it was uh, – go ahead, Jenny. Uh, I didn't – no way back there, but we had one group of soldiers marching down the street. I'm trying to remember where they what, were. Detroit, 68? Is that the one that no one wanted or said anything to them? Oh, I'm not sure. Um, if, I'm, that, if I'm following you, the one... The one that I know of that was the most organized that way was Greenwood Tulsa uh, massacre. That what most, year uh, was Carter that? Howard, Twenty-one. That was only two yeah. years later. Two years later, still on Woodrow Wilson's watch. Hmm. No, I mean, I'm put, trying to look that now. Hmm. No, I was. I'm sorry. I was just saying. Put some of the timelines together. With, with, uh, oh, okay. Well, this was before uh, then because mm-hmm. I was in school and uh, one mm-hmm. of my um, Sioux people, he lost his arm. And that's mm-hmm. what I was thinking about at that time. At that time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it was mm-hmm. way before 19. I was just wanting to get that. Before 1919? Yes. No, 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 no. After. Oh, after. I'm sorry. Okay. Yes, it was after. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, so the year of 1919 had um, was a pivotal year in America in the sense of saying enough is enough and fighting back. Um, I mean, I had relatives that were, you know, that I know 
uh, during that period of time, but I had no idea of these stories. I would have asked and gotten some of that history because I know that they knew about it. I mean, they lived it. So I'm sure traveling on the roads and everything else, you know, um, even living in your own hometown, you were always under threat. Uh, my my aunt was born 1908. My grandmother was born 1914. Uh, I think my grand my maternal grandfather was born 1904. Um, when um uh, when was your father born, Mama? You know? No, I only can't remember. No, I can figure it out though. Yeah, so, you know, I mean, it's just uh, our history, our history. And, mm-hmm. and W.E.B. Du Bois, um, who was uh, in the NAACP during that time, was quoted in an editorial um, in, a, in, a, in a paper called The Crisis. Say, today we raise the terrible weapon of self-defense. When the armed lynchers gather, we too must gather armed. When the Times endorsed Hayes' call for biracial conference to establish some plan to guarantee greater protection, justice, and opportunity to Negroes that will gain the support of law-abiding citizens of both races, it endorsed discussion with those Negro leaders who are opposed to militant methods. So this is what W.E.B. Du Bois had written um, in his editorial. He was 1916. 1916 is the year mm-hmm. you're speaking to? Uh, okay. Hmm. Wow, 1916. You know, I was looking at the number. That was 10, there was 10 race riots in 1990. Yeah, just in 1919. So, you know, you mentioned on Maceo about uh, groups were forming or trying to form, and they were... um, you know, trying to, they tried to stop them or did stop the groups from forming. Hello? Maceo? Did we lose you? Uh, I don't know. I know it got a little quiet there. Yeah. He's not here. Okay. So, uh, well, then I'll ask you. Why do you, why I don't do you suppose? Know. Okay. Oh. Go ahead. No, this is just as more. No, no, this is just an opinion question. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I'm thinking. Or, <laughs> or maybe I shouldn't be asking. I, I don't know how to. No, you know. go ahead. Go right ahead. Okay. So anytime culturally that we have come together to just be a group, and we met with met with so much opposition. Any opinion on why, why, or why you might think 
Okay. And if you know, if not, if not, we can pass on that. No, say it again. So, anytime we have come together okay. as a culture, anytime we come together as a culture to form any type of group, doesn't matter what it is, we're just trying to form a group. We're met with opposition. Always. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and oh, you are right okay. Make sure we didn't we didn't know. Yeah, I'm back. Um, yeah. Okay. I got knocked so anyway, off the call. Yeah. I was I was just sitting there okay. talking uh, when I I asked for you to respond, Dave. You didn't say nothing. I looked at the phone. Was like, oh, I'm not connected. <laughs> so I, I'll I'll put the question out there. Anytime we as a culture attempt to form a group to do, you know, usually we form a group to uh, to uplift us. Mm-hmm. We're met with opposition. We're met with opposition. Any your well, opinion on why? Why do you think that? Why do you think that is? You know, uh, one thing I want to say ahead, is that I I just want to say I don't think we like each other, or maybe ourselves, because it seems as if we can't be together. And be okay, you know. It just seems to me like we can't do that, and I don't understand why. It, it's deep. It goes. It's very deep. And what I mean by that, this is my opinion. Now, you familiar with the Willie Lynch letter? Yes. And you know how far back that goes. Yes. Hmm. That's why I say this is deep. It's deep. It's been subliminally passed on, not just by white folks, but to ourselves. Just you know, I think you mentioned that. You know, but I mean, just the fact that anytime we want to come together, we're met with opposition, and usually mm-hmm. a lot of times it's with opposition. each other. No, no, I'm talking about well, the not, we not talking about each other, together. talking about white people. Well, we actually came together. Yeah, once we come together, white people come Yeah, once we actually come together. Apart to, right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, That's I agree with that. About. I mean, you know, we... No, I'm we, asking what, yeah. any, any opinions on why you think that is? Well, I mean, it's to keep the black man down. It's to keep the black race down and to keep the white man as superior. Um, okay, can you get a, another voice, too? Who is that? Uh, we, we have, have a, guest, a guest who would like to say. All right, bring it, can, bring it on. Can, you wait at 9 o'clock. You better bring it. My name. Can you tell us name your is, name? Can you tell us your name? <laughs> Nadine McLean. Okay. All right, Ms. McLean. How you doing? I, you know, I'm, I'm upset about this subject, and it, it keeps me where, you know, sometimes mm. I can't even speak because I get so angry about it. But I the understand. Reason, but the reason why um, they don't want us to get together is because they know we are superior. They know mm-hmm. that they are mentally ill. <laughs> they know they know that um, we are the beginning and we will be the end. They All know right. that, that's why they know that we could that's why we couldn't learn to read. 
They know we wow. how intelligent we are. They know mm-hmm. that we are more than. They know that uh, we have created nine different music genres. Okay, you know we mm-hmm. we create and we and we we can do so much. And they they don't want us to. They think that we will try and have revenge, but we that's not in our hearts. That's not in our DNA. But no, we're forgiven people. Yes. No, 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 I I agree with you. Yeah, and and everything she said, I agree. In my opinion, it was the last thing. It was the last thing she said. Is where I was wondering if any, because I've been that's that's been my thought. It's a guilt, subliminal guilt, that we're going to seek revenge. I mean, if you Mm. think about it, if it was in reverse, Mm. you know, if it was the other way around. You know that that's a oh that's a sure. that's a that's a keg of dynamite waiting to go off. That's true. So we can't okay, okay, we have another person that would like to say what they want to say. Okay. Hello, and you are hello. Yes, this Keith from Detroit. All right, hi. Yes, how are you doing? Welcome. Yes, oh, good, good. Well, you know, only thing people normally worry about are threats. If if you're no threat to me, I never worry about you. But if you are a threat to me, guess what happens? Hmm. So only hmm. people follow that I, they consider threats. And to show you how threatened they are, think about it. They had the senators asking the other day, when can they start shooting uh, what do you call those uh, uh, Republicans that otherwise known as, as uh, what they call them? Uh, what is they call the Republicans? Rhinos. Which are, right. Oh, okay. they, they want to Republican in name rhinos. only. Okay. Right. They want to start shooting rhinos so that way they can uh, eliminate some of the uh, some of the opposition, but my question is, how do you know what a rhino looks like? <laughs> hmm. I mean, if a rhino is a white person, right, that's otherwise mm-hmm. known as a Republican, how do you shoot one of them? How do you know who's who? How do you know who's my dad? How do you know who's some of the neighbor's dad? So, their thing is anybody they conceive as being a threat, they just really will go ahead and wipe them out. You don't care if it's your mom, mm-hmm. your dad, mm-hmm. your sister, or whatever. But that's I'll true. tell people, there's some white people that's, I mean, some black people that's lighter than white. So when you go to shooting people, that white guy you might be shooting mm-hmm. might be your neighbor's dad or your neighbor's right. son or your neighbor's so. Sometimes when you dig a hole, sometimes you fall into fall into it your own self. Hmm. All well, right. You know. Yeah, I, th- I think in, in in even in connection with that, um, I think because of the trauma that blacks have gone through through the years, uh, it's a term called epigenetic, epigenetic. Um, 
and so it's pretty much saying that uh, your behavior can influence the change that can affect the way your genes work. Uh, so, you know, not that it changes the DNA sequence, but it can change how your body reads the DNA sequence just based on the trauma that uh, you've experienced, that uh, our ancestors have experienced, you know, our great, 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 great grandparents here in America have experienced. I think that there can be a form of trauma that, um, and blacks have a history long before slavery, but our, our history for the most part as blacks in America has, you know, started with slavery. I know that there were some free black people here prior to um, slavery in Columbus, um, but the majority of black people that, that came uh, during the chattel slavery time, uh, I think that a lot of us that are ancestors of uh, those slaves can have epigenetic um situations and circumstances where uh, there can be some trauma uh, that has been passed down in the genes. Um, but in terms of knowing our history and, and not repeating it, I, I think that this is the information that um, a lot of the um, Republicans uh, are in, in Congress are, are supporting, some, some people in Congress are supporting is eliminating this type of information, uh, not only to um, teach black children about our history, but white children as well, and white people. I mean, you know, there are adults that don't know this information. So it's not just, you know, the, the kids don't know. It's, you know, a lot of us don't know. A lot of things, I think, that uh, our uh, relatives and ancestors just did not talk about. It was kind of like if you heard if they were heard talking about it, uh, it was going to be a problem. And if we were taught and repeated it in the wrong place, we could have some issues. So I think uh, because of that, a lot of this information wasn't widely uh, talked about from generation to generation. Um, Excuse me. And I think that yes. Um. I'm glad you brought up epigenetics because I've I've heard that um, blacks have nine markers and white people have six markers. Uh, I don't remember if it's chimpanzees or they have like three, Hmm. four, and five. And and so looking looking at those statistics, that means that, as I said before, black men are more superior. Uh, mm. But nobody talks about those nine markers or what that means. But it is diversity, uh, and I have a theory that you know white people. Well, we know they became white after ten thousand years. Wherever they went, every, uh, everyone was black at one point. But uh, you become mm. white by going into a climate or environment where you don't. Uh, uh, I don't know all the statistics of it, but you can turn white takes about ten thousand years. So right. I believe I believe that they were they were cast from from paradise, and these are the All people. Right. These are the people that we are dealing with, 
and they're not, and I call them mentally ill, not because of that, but because when they came from Europe to to the United States, they thought they were coming to claim a new paradise for themselves, got here and found out that there's someone else who lived here already. And they had mm-hmm. to look at these people as non-human. They had to change their epigenetics, like you were talking about, in order to survive. And this was the beginning of their mental illness because after that, then they had to uh, look at blacks as non-human in order to prosper. Mm-hmm. So, so this epigenetics thing, no one's talking about it, but, um, you know, I'm sorry, but uh, we have dominant genes and we have recessive genes. Everything right. that a white person has is recessive. Everything that a black mm. person has is dominant. Uh, you know, I, I, it's like it's like it's one, two, three. You know, it's right there in front of you. How come nobody's talking about this? And it's like, mm. no, they don't want, and they don't want black people to think. If we think, it's like, you know, and, and black people need to realize that, you know, if you're mad, sad, or feeling bad, you cannot create, compile, or convey. And, you know, it's like, it's, it's like we don't, this is why we can't get together, because we, mm. you know, we've been so destroyed epigenetically, right. you know, that, mm. that we, you know, and all we need to know is two things. All we need is two things. All we need is to agree and cooperate. Oh. And, we, and they, right. have destroyed <laughs> us. they have destroyed us to the point where we can't even agree. And, and we know the power that we have. All we have to do is agree and cooperate. And it's not and all right. Yeah, we can get some things done if we were able to do those, accomplish those two things. Uh, but in terms of uh, what you were saying, um, you know, I agree that uh, we have uh, everything that we've done, uh, you know, the inventions that we have have all either been, you know, a lot of them either been stolen or whitewashed. I mean, that's just like... Uh, and it still makes me feel, you know, some type of way today when I see pictures of white Jesus, you know, with the blue eyes, and especially in a black church. You know, I went to a black church in one of the, what I would consider one of the blackest parts of the city at one point, you know, here in Detroit a few years ago and uh, for, for an event. And in the pulpit, they had a picture of white Jesus. And uh, I can only imagine, you know, what those sermons, you know, will talk about. And and, and uh, I just think that if you're, you know, bowing to a white Jesus, um, you know, when you feel, when you see white people, you feel like, you know, Jesus is like, you know, the person, the picture you see, you feel like uh, that person is a little superior over you. Um, and I think, you know, you would be possibly inclined based on your religion and how you feel about um, that part of religion um, be inclined to take a superior, uh, uh, inferior position, you know, to white people just based on on that. But I think, in, you know, and also in terms of their knowledge of us and our power, uh, they, you know, use a lot of words in our face. Like, you know, you say done in plain sight uh, by calling us niggers, you know, the word niggas, N-E-G-U-S, um, 
is a word that talks about uh, meaning terrain. It talks about um, from Ethiopia, and it talks about uh, royalty. And uh, the, the title has been used to translate the word king or emperor in biblical and other literature. And so that's Negus, N-E-G-U-S, but they call us niggas. So, you know, and we call ourselves, you know, niggas from time to time. You know, certain people do. I, I don't I do not do that any, anymore. Um, unless I got some real good friends, then I might call them niggas. Hey, what's up, nigga? You know, you know, but, but, but for the most part. Well, my, my favorite saying was nigga please. Okay, right. <laughs> so, you know, we can use the word endearingly. But can I get back to can I get back to Jesus, please? Can I say something about Jesus? Uh, Wait, I'm gonna let you I'm gonna let you make your comment about Jesus, then I'm gonna bring Dave in. All right, go ahead. Okay, that uh, Jesus was definitely black. There are over 500 black Madonnas in Europe. There are thousands of black Madonnas all over the world. If the Madonna was black, you know, Jesus is black. The Bible even says that Jesus is black. It describes him as black. And yet, um, you know, he was celebrated as black until like 600 years ago until people saw an advantage or a price on a black man's head, and then he could no longer be black so that they could make a profit. Mm. But they are black Madonnas all over, and they, they say, oh, that's because of the candles in the church. But it, it's just the face that's black, not, you know, anything else surrounding them. And it's like it could, if it was just soot, it could be washed off. So, you know, it's okay. just, uh, mm. yeah. And then I like I like history, and I see a lot of statues and, and stuff everywhere. But they, uh, the winner of any war, well, uh, they're the ones who write the history. And by the way, that's our first mistake. We let the losers of the Civil War write our history. But uh, <laughs> okay. But um, you look at these statues, and they take the nose and the lips off of them, but it's unmistakably mm-hmm. black. And there we are everywhere because we were celebrated. We were the first. We were the. We had the. Uh, uh, the first colleges in Africa, the first castles, the first in mm-hmm. everything. And they came over and changed it all. It's like Africa didn't exist until Alexander the Great came over and, and, and took our library and millions of scrolls with our philosophy, mm. which is now they call Greek philosophy, is actually African philosophy. Okay, too much. Cool. I'm, I'm going to be quiet now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you preaching now. Tell me what you're doing. i got to write your name down. <laughs> Oh, was it Nadine? Yes, oh, Nadine McLean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought I remember Nadine, Nadine McLean. McLean. Yeah, no, <laughs> hey, that's why I remember the name. Yeah, all right, all right. <laughs> that, that's old school. That's an old school name. You must have been named after your auntie or something. I, I was named after an opera singer, yes. <laughs> it was, hey, all right. I, yeah. Nadine McLean, oh, all, all right. All but, gonna, yeah, all I was going to say earlier when, um you know, we talked about calling each other nigga and all that. And, I mean, in, in the theme of it, we've turned it into a, a term of endearment. And I think that's what yeah. you were speaking to a minute ago, when you said, you know, one of my friends, well, you're not calling them that out of, you know, the way it originally used. Malice or anything. Right, right. right. You know, we, and, you know, it, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 it can be offensive. 
But at the same time, you know, we we can use it amongst ourselves as a term of endearment that make it right. But it's it's yeah. been something that's over the years. You know, I remember when Richard Pryor said he went over to Africa and came back and said when he was over there he didn't see no niggas. That's why he stopped calling people niggas for a while. All right. You know, All right. All right. But uh maybe he touched on some things that um I'm you know, I'm I'm not big on too many religious conversations, but I believe it's in the Bible when they talk about uh, hair like uh, sheep's wool and olive-colored skin, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know. But mm-hmm. I grew up in I, when, when you mentioned that white that picture of white Jesus, yeah. I looked at that picture every time in my life when I was a kid. That's what hung up in our living wow. room. Wow! Wow! <laughs> well, it hung up so, in a lot of living rooms. I mean, that and Martin Luther oh, King yeah. and, uh, and JFK. Yeah. Right, but right. The, the point of it is, if 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 a hair like um, sheep and skin of olive has been in the Bible for all this time, and we've been looking at this picture for about as long as we can remember, mm. you know, the, the whitewashing began a long time ago. Oh man, it started from the very beginning. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, took out took our languages and took our names, you know, um, and, and took our children and, and separated us. And so uh, it was a master plan. Uh, and so, you know, when Jenny White talks about, you know, how we, you know, st- seem like we don't like each other and can't get along, I mean, it's it's been a plan to do that. Uh, it's been a plan to get the, the black father out of the home, the black man out of the home, you know, Blake, make black women more more independent, you know, uh, and uh, raise our children with a lot of fathers in the home. And so it has uh, um, gone on for years and years. It's the gift that keeps giving, you know, the dysfunction that that keeps dysfunctioning. Uh, Mm -hmm. But I think at some point uh, we have to try to break the cycle. I mean, even with – you know, generational wealth, and you know, this can be a whole another show topic in itself. Uh, but teaching a generational wealth uh, to our family, to our children, being able to invest, and I know uh, you're into uh, you're into that uh, as well as myself, Dave. You know, so I know that you um, have a financial background, and and, and we'll um, put a show together to talk about that, and you know, things that Black people can do to. Uh, not only make more money, but keep more money. It's not what you make, it's what you keep, and be able to pass more down. Um, and, you know, talk about how the tax codes, you know, in the United States are based on, you know, businesses and corporations. Those are the people that pay the least amount of taxes. If you're a W-2 employee, you paying the most. <laughs> so um, just talk about how um, – Black people uh, have, have things that have never been put in place for us to be successful. I mean, we, you know, and everything we have, we've had to fight for. Uh, and then sometimes it still feels like the beginning, or or just just past, you know, the starting gate. Uh, so everybody, you know, is really. They say this next generation is going to be the first generation that does worse than than their parents. Really. So yeah, yeah. So um, so th- so there's a 
lot going on, but I think we've had a great show um, tonight. I appreciate, you know, all the callers calling in and participating. Uh, we will have another great show. This um, is our, you know, last Black History Friday in February, but, you know, the beat goes on. We continue. Black history is uh, every day we wake up, you know, yeah. we live in black yeah. history. Yes, yes. So it don't stop, but... Uh, I would like to take uh, 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 my man and uh, guest, yes. David Rankin, for your participation. Would you uh, yes. like to have yes. the final yes. words before we sign off? <laughs> well, you know, one, one of the things that I share is black history is January 1st to December 31st. It's American history. Yeah, right. Because All right. America was built, was built on our ancestors' back. So mm-hmm. it's American history. And it should be included. All right. Thank you, sir. Yes, sir. All right. Is Ms. Nadine still there? Yes, I am. (laughs) All right. Would you like to say anything before we uh, close the show? Appreciate your participation this evening. Uh, Thank you for having this podcast available. All right. Welcome. You're welcome. Come back and listen. Appreciate you tuning in to the Jenny White Show. We uh we try to uh, make it entertaining. I know sometimes uh you know talking about politics and and and, and you know uh, history can can be a little depressing, but uh, life is what it is, and you have to talk about the things that you know make you uncomfortable and the things that have made us who we are in order to become better people and uh, and help the people behind us uh, to be aware of what. Uh, has taken place in our past, what's taking place in our present, and uh, what the end game is uh, for the future so that they can be best equipped to strategize and um, not get caught with their eyes closed and be wondering why they don't have any rights and, you know, why they're feeling like, you know, like slaves again. So uh, do you have anything you want to say, Jenny White? Well, I have one person here who just raised their hand. Who All is right, that? Well, chime Dorothy. on in. Chime on in. It's Dorothy. I, I, I am just sitting here. I am so amazed with the information that I have received this evening. But mm. um, a friend of mine, we were talk, discussing basically the show from last week. Okay. And she brought up a point to me that I had never and would have thought of. If you and I'm not trying to be nasty or anything, but if you look at the penis of a dog, it's pink. If you look at the penis of a black man, it's black. Chinese, it's yellow. So what are we saying here? I don't know. What is it? (laughs) Okay. Okay, you're laughing, but but any animal that you've ever seen, his penis is pink. Mm. What did you say, any animal? So you're saying? I'm saying that he's that, an animal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Hmm. Oh, okay. Now that's something. That's a, he only has six <laughs> markers. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> we have nine. He only has six. No, he's half back. Okay. Okay. What, what human would think of eating another human? All right. Uh, <laughs> <Take> cannibalism. 
But you don't find black people eating black cooking and they're eating them. Mm. No, we no. Just, I, I don't know here. any black people that Jeffrey Dahmer. Right. No, we recently had a guy that could get, that just got convicted back in December. One white guy killed another white guy and ate him. Oh, mm. gosh. Oh, gosh. Okay. We'll, we'll hold that one. Okay. <laughs> That's another that conversation. Another time. That's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you... then that's what made me think about it. I said, we just had. I just had this conversation, and someone brought it to my attention. And this person happened to be a doctor, a, a physician. Oh man. Okay. Well, I mean, well it can get to deep. Cut and, us uh... off if we can't stop. <laughs> All right. Well, we had a great show. I appreciate we everybody did, calling we did. in. Right. And we'll uh, we'll do, we'll be we'll here do next, it again next Friday. Week. That's right. Eight o'clock. And we'll have another uh, tantalizing uh, topic. Okay. All right. Thank you, Jenny White. You, you you know we had a great show today. I appreciate your participation and and uh, supporting uh giving us this opportunity to be on the podcast. Okay, well, what I have to say is sometimes we must be hurt in order to grow. Sometimes we must fail in order to know. Sometimes we must lose in order to gain because some lessons in life are best learned through pain. And with that having been said, I will say it's been a great show last week and this week. Is I really like that. And um, uh, Macy, what's your friend's name? <laughs> David Wright. Okay. Well, you're welcome to come back anytime, sir. Thank you very much. And Thank you. You're Thank welcome. You. Okay. And that's uh, what I'm going to say. Have a great weekend, line. This. All right. Take care. Let's talk with Jenny White. Good night. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.